Hi, you're listening to Walkley Talks with me, Helen Sullivan. The speech you're about to hear was given at Storyology 2017 by Lenore Taylor, editor of Guardian Australia and a Walkley board member. In our post-truth world and this era of fake news, trust in media is plummeting. Lenore discusses the fundamental question facing the media today. How do we get people to value and trust what we do? The speech is introduced by Walkley CEO, Jackie Park. And welcome to Storyology 2017. I'm Jackie Park, I'm CEO of the Walkley Foundation, and it's great to see you all here. And I know that just like me, you can't wait to get into the program. So, Storyology is where we come together to map a coherent path forward through our industry, through the thickets and the overhanging branches of disruption. Over the last year, we've come to realise something, though, about that path we're trying to carve. The maps we're working off really do need to be marked. Here be monsters. The monsters of fake news and other digital disinformation lurk at the edges of our path, ready to pounce and carry off unsuspecting readers, viewers and listeners. And they're not easily dispatched even at a national level, because the factors that drive their reach are really global. Fake news is successful precisely because it plays to the strengths of the global web. The internet is open and easy to access by design. The accelerated use of bots and artificial intelligence in the social web allows for the mass production of fake news and it amplifies its effects. Sometimes it feels like the business model of fake news is just much stronger than the model for actual news. So we know that the systems that allowed mischief makers to spread misinformation with such success in the US election or in the Philippines or in Russia, well, those systems are here too. As journalists, we are the front line, filtering, verifying. It might feel as though we're outnumbered, certainly out-algorithmed, but we're the best line of defence that society has because the fight against fake news is the fight to embed our own principles. Respect for truth, respect for the public's right to know into the DNA of the internet. And we've also learnt a bit about the business models over the past year and not all of it good. Most significantly, what was hotly argued only last year is now commonplace. Advertising is not the answer. There seem to be few viable models for the news in the digital age built on advertising. To build a sustainable mass media news voice, we really need to get to crossover. That point where most revenues come directly from our readers rather than through advertising. And now, that's exciting. Who doesn't want readers who love us enough to pay for our work? But on the other hand, it's also a bit frightening. How do we build the sort of stable relationships that can fund our work? Our work is changing, so is our industry. And of course, the Walkleys is changing too. We want to be part of the solution. We're leading conversations and we're backing innovation from within the industry through our innovation and incubation program. That includes skilling up journalists, hands-on mentoring and direct funding. And around and beyond innovation, we're advocating for the craft of journalism. 
Last week, we went before the Senate Committee on Public Interest Journalism to stress just how important it is for the government politicians to act to help journalists through the transition. And we're working to develop a public journalism fund. We want to support original reporting, writing and analysis to help us understand the impact this massive media disruption we're going through and then how it intersects with our culture, democracy and public life. As always, our storyology has something for everybody, touching on all the big themes. So our program today is full of great speakers from our backyard and around the world. But at the end of the day, we're all peers here trying to solve the same challenges. And so your voice is just as important in the conversation as the ones up here. And I hope you'll ask lots of questions and follow along on social media and share your own stories. But let's start at the foundations, trust. What have we lost? How can we rebuild it? Please welcome Walkley board member and editor of The Guardian Australia, Lenore Taylor with A Matter of Trust. Thanks very much, Jackie. Um, I should say at the outset that I am battling the lurgy that seems to be taking over Sydney, so please excuse my voice. Um, I think, as Jackie said, that any editor, any journalist, any media practitioner giving a speech like this at this point in history will be grappling with versions of all the same well-documented problems. Surveys that ask readers what they think of the press right now tell us that as an industry, we're losing our readers' trust. On the other hand, they're buying and clicking on and reading what we produce more than ever before um, in these times of political upheaval. So it's quite a complex and volatile situation wherein Donald Trump's quite deliberately seeking to delegitimise what we do and at the same time is a boon to circulation. We know that readers have um, many and multiplying ways to obtain information, if not what we would necessarily define as news. And that makes it all the more important that we understand why it is that they're losing trust in what we do and how we can make sure that they do value and trust what we do. We also know that the tech giant's dominance in the digital advertising market makes it increasingly difficult to finance our business in the way that we did before. So it's a classic crunch with each part of that squeeze potentially exacerbating the other. And as far as I can tell, any editor who says they've found definitive answers to all of this is lying through their teeth. There are so many ideas around about what to do about this problem and a lot of the most innovative thinkers are here at this conference and that in itself I think is cause for some optimism. But what I want to talk about today is our experience at Guardian Australia in thinking through and finding immediate first step ways to tackle those two pressures together. Ways that allow us to get the most financial reward for the best journalism that we can do. Ways, in effect, to create the opposite of clickbait. The 2017 Essential Poll here in Australia in trust in the Australian media made for pretty depressing reading, I think we'd all agree. Trusted hit an all-time low. ABC TV and Current Affairs was the most trusted of the categories polled, but even there, trusted fallen to 59%. And that figure included people who trusted ABC Current Affairs a lot and those who trusted it only somewhat. At the bottom of the list was commercial talkback radio at 34% and news and opinion websites at 36%. The 2017 Edelman Trust Barometer found plummeting levels of trust in institutions across the board, 
but it also suggested that trust in Australian media in general was even less than, than um, trust in the US media, which I think is quite an astonishing result given how deliberately the US president has been working to undermine confidence in that country's press. And among informed, what was defined as an informed public, the media here was sitting at 40%, which was a 14% decline, it's, that report found. And among the general population, trust in media was at 32% among the lowest levels globally. That, to put it mildly, is a big problem. Our internal surveying of Guardian readers shows that our readers trust us quite a lot more than that and sort of at an equal level to the level that they trust the ABC, which is of some comfort, but it's obviously a different measurement than that industry-wide measurement. And it doesn't take away from the general point that trust is at the heart of it and that trust has to be earned. I think to win and maintain and keep that trust, we have to really understand and know what our readers want from us which is obviously a more complicated question than just what they click on. It requires a deeper knowledge than we ever needed before, back when our perception or understanding of readers was really an understanding of the sort of person that we were trying to sell advertising to. Remember those days, editors would tell us that, I can remember one editor in particular telling us we were writing for an imaginary 30-something professional woman who worked part-time and had a couple of kids. Sometimes they even gave the imaginary target reader a name. But she'd be exactly that. She was a target that we were aiming at rather than an actual reader who we were talking to and, and finding out about. Now if we're to retain readers and to retain trust, we actually need to understand the reality of what our readers want. Um, I think the answers to those questions will be different for different publications and in different places, but I think the process of getting to them is the same which involves listening and developing a relationship with readers. Um, that also means we need to listen quite carefully when our readers criticise us, when they think that we've got things wrong. The thing I've been finding most encouraging in this process at The Guardian is that the sorts of stories that Guardian readers are telling us they want to read, the sorts of stories they're responding to most positively, are very often exactly the sorts of stories that I want to commission, in-depth stories, investigations, stories that put daily spin of news in place and context. But at the same time as listening and responding to readers, I think we also have to be kind of clear about what the standards are that we bring to our work with ourselves and our readers, which at times might, need, might mean that we need to stand up for and defend the essence of what we do and the value of what so many on the far right and the far left like to deride as the MSM, you know, the basic things of finding things out, verifying facts, telling people things they wouldn't know if we weren't there, publishing the best available version of the truth that we can find and correcting it if we found we've made a mistake. And sometimes providing facts and balance will mean challenging some of our readers who might have become accustomed to getting news through social media feeds that have constantly confirmed pre-existing ideas or biases. And sometimes it might mean challenging ourselves and who we talk to in order to understand the forces shaping the world and politics. There was a lot made, I think, of the media's failure to predict the result of the US election, along with every other pundit and pollster. But it would have come as less of a shock to people who had been reading attempts that many organisations made, including The Guardian in the US, to 
get out into some of the communities where support for Trump was highest. And in particular, I was really impressed with Gary Young's reporting when he embedded himself in a town called Muncie, Indiana, for the duration of the campaign and just looked at a campaign through the eyes of that Middletown community. Um, I think that uh, there was that was one of many uh, innovative ways to report on that divisive and difficult election campaign. And sometimes those efforts were overlooked in that immediate post-campaign um, analysis. But with the benefit of hindsight, we should have possibly paid more attention to what those kinds of projects were telling us. Like a lot of the media organisations here in Australia, we're in the process of thinking through new ways that we might take on similar kinds of projects. And one that I'm quite um, excited about is a podcast series called Common Ground, which is aimed at sort of tapping into what Australians from all walks of life are thinking about politics. It's kind of like a reality focus group in a podcast, which we're doing with social researcher Rebecca Huntley. And I must say, listening into the recordings of it is both eye-opening and fascinating. And what the, the kinds of conversations that come up from people, the way that the, what you think of and what pe how people identify as left and right really isn't the main determinant in terms of what they would agree on or what they think politically. Um, sometimes it might mean standing up to politically motivated attempts to delegitimise what we do here. Um, it's not only Pauline Hanson who has taken to the sort of Trump-style labelling of things that she doesn't like, stories she finds inconvenient as fake news. I remember when the ABC reported on uh, some companies and trusts and investigations in India that, um, of Adani's operations, uh, one of the federal ministers raced out to call that fake news without any evidence that it was either wrong or fake. Um, his only real grounds was that the investigations were ongoing. I think we need to be really careful about allowing the term fake news to be used in that way, to be bandied about in terms of with, for stories that are really just stories that the politician doesn't like or that they might have some problem of nuance with. Because otherwise, I think we risk becoming complicit in degrading the very idea of facts, which is the currency of what we do. Sometimes I think this relationship and defining this relationship with readers will mean rethinking how we've done things before. Um, our readers are saying they're much more interested in policies uh, that are under discussion in Canberra and what those policies mean than in the politics of it, than in the horse race or, uh, or the, the, the theatre of politics. They want more context. They want uh, longer read issues that focus on on what's happening rather than the spin or the news cycle. And I think we need to respond to those kinds of um, suggestions from readers. And when we do, the, the response back from readers is really very strong. But even when we do listen to what it is our readers really want from us, and when we're clear about the parameters that we put around that, we still face the other part of that crunch, how we find the revenue to actually do it. When I joined Guardian Australia as political editor at its inception in 2013, my basic calculation was that declining digital advertising meant that you needed the global scale of an organisation like The Guardian to finance good journalism, and that we would be in with a shot at funding a new Australian news operation by linking it with Guardian's global reach and worldwide news operation. It seemed like a reasonable calculation back then. 
The basics of the startup were well, are well known. We had a seed loan from philanthropist Graham Wood. We set up as an Australian company. We're part of the Guardian's global news operation. We receive services in kind from the parent company, but our Australian operation is funded from the revenue we raise here, and the revenue we raise here is all invested back into the Australian business. By the time I became editor three years later, we, along with pretty much everyone else, was having to rethink some of the assumptions behind our business plan as Google and Facebook accounted for an ever-increasing proportion of digital advertising and advertising revenue was declining. Many of our competitors, who you may have noticed are quite liberal and generous with their free advice, suggested that the only alternative we had was to set up a paywall. And indeed, globally, The Guardian has investigated a paywall. We made no secret of that, and we haven't ruled it out. But we've taken a decision at a global level, which I strongly think is the right one, to relaunch a membership a contributions program first and see whether that can become a viable alternative or additional revenue stream. Guardian UK and US had already done that when I became editor here, uh, and my first priority was to relaunch membership here. Some of those same ever-generous competitors have likened asking readers to voluntarily give financial con contributions for what they read as being something like putting out the begging bowl, and they insist that this approach is doomed to fail. I will admit that writing those editorials and membership emails doesn't come naturally. It's not what we're used to doing. But in the years since we relaunched membership, I've become more convinced than ever that this is an idea that's really worth giving our very best shot for a number of reasons. The most convincing reason is that it is working. We've got over 35,000 uh, members now, and that's not including people who make one-off contributions. There's many more of those. And all the while, our journalism is still open and accessible to everyone. That leaves a lot of upside, obviously, but I think it's a pretty good start. But more importantly, it also imposes a discipline. People are inspired to contribute by the best of what we do, by stories that matter to them, by stories they don't think is, are getting enough attention elsewhere. I guess it's true, you could also argue, people need to think that they are getting value or that they're getting something they like and want in order to take out a paid subscription, that's true. But it seems to, to me, at least, that that's more likely to be a set-and-forget transaction, a more traditional kind of commercial exchange, or, perish the thought, maybe even a payment requirement that a reader might try to circumvent, rather than inviting the readers to choose to contribute and become part of the journalistic venture in the first place. Membership requires and paves the way, I think, for a different kind of relationship with the reader. And it's exactly the same kind of relationship that we need to restore the trust in the substance of what we do. It keeps us on our toes. It means we have to have a direct conversation with readers. It means we report back to them with emails and, with, and most recently with an annual report. It means we have to ask for their views and try to understand them and really listen and deliver on what they say. And as I said before, when we ask people what they think, they actually have some really good ideas. And I'm fascinated by what Rob is doing at The Correspondent. I think there are lessons from that that we might be able to incorporate in what we're doing uh, at Guardian Australia, even though we've obviously got quite different remits and plans. I'm watching closely what Neiman learns from its membership puzzle project. Our membership teams here and in the UK and the US are experimenting all the while with how this kind of uh, revenue stream can be made to work. 
There was an interesting experiment recently at Guardian US where um, they, for the first time, used a contributions drive to raise money around a specific area of coverage. In this case, stories about uh, public lands called This Land Is Your Land. In 31 hours, they raised their goal of $50,000. They extended the project to two months and doubled the goal to $100,000 and reached that goal equally quickly. So that's sort of the first of a, of a reader-funded series, and I think that's also an interesting thing for us to consider and look at. So to conclude, here in Australia, in four years, we've established a new Australian media company, a new voice in the Australian media. We've created more than 80 media jobs in commercial and editorial that weren't here before we started. We receive all that rich content and um, services in kind from the UK parent company, but we're, we're, we're Australian staff providing an Australian news service in Australia. And the challenge, like everyone's challenge, is to find the revenue streams that can ensure that we continue to do that and continue to grow. And I have reason for optimism that membership is one sustainable revenue stream, supplementing advertising, and I hope further philanthropic donations to allow us to continue to grow here in Australia. And the reason I'm hopeful about membership is that it means we're financially rewarded for the best of what we do, which means it puts trust at the heart of both our journalism and one of the most important ways that we finance it. So that's why we're going to give it our very best shot. Thank you. You've been listening to the Walkley Talks podcast. If you've liked this podcast, there are a couple of things you can do to support it. Sign up to our newsletter at walkleys.com forward slash subscribe to keep up to date with new episodes and other Walkley news. Rate us on iTunes or join the conversation on Twitter and like us on Facebook. This podcast was produced with help from freelance journalist and fabulous intern Courtney Hunter and former Walkley superstar Kate Golden in Sydney, Australia. Thanks for listening.